0: Well, today we continue in this Pulse series uh, through the season of Easter. And uh, we come today to a story in the Gospel of John that is one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. It's the story of Doubting Thomas. And many of you know this story uh, and you may be familiar with it, but probably not all of you. And this story is so... Uh, meaningful to me in some ways that it's, it's hard, it was hard this week to decide what to say and what not to say. It was, it was a lot of uh, cutting out and like I couldn't, it was either say everything or say nothing so I struggled with that a little bit. Um, and so what I would like to do to start out here is read this uh, passage to you and uh, if you'd like to follow along you can in the Bible, uh, it's John 20. And I want you to listen as I read this story and see which part of it stands out most to you, which part of it connects most with your spirit this morning. This is John 20, verses 19 through 31. And if you're using the red Bibles, which are under your chairs, it's on page 883. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week... And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then John begins to wrap up the his whole book here, and and, uh, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So I ask you to listen to that story and uh, try to find the thing in it, the, the part of it or the words there that speak most to your spirit this morning that, that um, you find most interesting or most troubling or um, whatever it might be. And so I, I hope that, I, I think that any of you can do that regardless of where you may be on your faith journey or lack thereof. And so what I'd like to ask you to do, uh, I'm going to have you stand up and say hi to each other like we usually do here in, in church. Um, and when you're doing that, if you could just share that, that part of the story that most stood out to you with one other person, and, um, you know, I realize that, that may not be completely comfortable for everybody, but try it. And if, if you really don't feel like talking about that with somebody, you can just uh, kind of shake hands and wink while you say, hey, how's it going, and then... Go Get coffee or something, but um, and uh, if any parents in the room would like to take advantage of the art supplies in the cabinet at the back there, you're welcome to that um, so that your kids can have something to do during this sermon. So uh, stand up and tell one other person which part of that story is most interesting or meaningful to you, and we 'll come back and look at it more deeply in a minute there's a very famous painting of this encounter. Painted by um, the Italian master Caravaggio. Could you fire that up for me, there, Brian? This um, this painting is called "The Incredulity of Saint Thomas," and uh, while you're finding your seat, maybe you can take a look at that, and it's pretty powerful. Um, and this this painting is very meaningful to me, just as the story is. And I think the thing in this painting that I am most drawn to, uh, well, there's an obvious focal point of the painting, but um, can you fire the close-up of that, Brian, Is this next one? If you look closely here, the thing that I love most about this painting, and I see it in the text of the story as well, is what Jesus' hand is doing. He is not going to let Thomas not put his finger in that hole. Thomas has made a pretty brash declaration about what it's going to take for him to believe, and Jesus is not going to let him off the hook with that. And isn't it true sometimes that we we need Jesus to pull us into him just a little bit? Like, it would have been easy for Thomas to, perhaps to to just say, no, Jesus, keep keep your cloak on, bro. Like... I'm good. (laughs) But Jesus wasn't having any of that. Um, Maybe we'll fire that up again a little bit later for communion or something. You can continue to meditate on that. Uh, Because art, paintings, and music, and so forth are sometimes a lot more uh, meaningful and and speak more clearly to us than some guy yammering on for 25 minutes. So... (laughs) We'll see how that goes, but you had your own observations, and uh, perhaps if we have a little bit of time at the end of uh, the sermon here, we can talk some about about them. If we ha- uh, we have some time, we will. But I want to just take you through a few of the observations that I have from this text. Um, and again, it's it's one that's really meaningful to me. And so, if I said everything that I thought about this, we'd be here forever, and it would it would never it would be totally rambly. But um, the first thing that that uh, I think it's important to realize in this narrative is that apparently doubt does not exclude one from participation in community with believers. People who have doubt in this story, the person who had doubt are not to be excluded from community with people who have very strong faith. Look at verse 26 in this story. A week later, after Thomas has made his declaration, I will not believe, a week later, his disciples were again at the house and Thomas was with them. A week doesn't seem like a very long time. You can think back a week, you can think ahead a week, and it's pretty easy to grasp that. But if you've just had somebody very close to you Die? A week seems like a very, very long time, doesn't it? And so Thomas, I imagine, has had a, over a week pass now where his disciples, have, or his, his, uh, his colleagues, his cohorts have said, we saw Jesus and he's had nothing. A week of horrible pain and grief and added to that an apparent absence of Jesus when, at least his friends are saying, Jesus is not, in fact, absent. And yet, he stayed with them. It's really interesting to me. Because I'm sure they continued to talk about it. Like, they're, they're guys, right? Guys, if we put our fingers in the hand, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that guys would talk about. I mean, it's like, wow. Thomas, did we mention... When we saw Jesus, what we did, with, he had these holes. And Thomas is like, yes, you mentioned that. And it's a week of this. And yet he's still there. He's staying with them. And that's really, really important. Why? Because where does Jesus eventually appear to Thomas? It's while Thomas is in community with those people who've already seen it. That's not to say that if Thomas had said, you know, forget you guys, I'm going home. Jesus wouldn't have appeared to him somewhere else, but that's not how it went down. Jesus appeared to the group of them and Thomas just happened to be there on time this time. So the community of believers, the community of faith, and I think we can use this as a model for our own community of faith does not, or at least it should not, exclude people who are doubters. And I wonder, I wonder why those other disciples were so gracious with Thomas. I mean, after all, he had seen Jesus perform miracles. He ought to have been in a place by then where he could trust the others And yet he's still refusing to believe. Why were they so gracious? Well, I'd like to think it was just because they were wonderful, holy people. But we know that's not true. We've seen stories, you know, the other stories in the Gospels show us the character of this bunch. Um, It's kind of similar to our own. Look a little more closely at what happened when Jesus appeared to them and the order in which things happened. Look at, uh, let's see, it's verse, end of 19 and 20. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. No response yet. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I don't want to read too much into the order in which things happened, but uh, in, in these Greek texts, order is actually probably even more important than it is in, in English. So those disciples who were oh so faithful, maybe they, maybe they weren't all that faithful. Maybe they were just about like Thomas was, and, and they weren't sure what to think of this Jesus ghost or whoever he was. And maybe they said so, and and maybe Jesus said, okay, fine, you know, take a look at this. And so, another thing that's really interesting here, the, the narrative, the text that the author uses here, is almost identical in both appearances of Jesus. Look what happens. The doors are locked. Jesus appears. The first thing he says is, peace be with you. And then you have this demonstration of the marks on his body. That happens, those, those same things happen in both, both stories. So they're very, very similar situations. And so let's not fool ourselves. Let's not give those other apostles too much credit. They probably were just, just as doubtful as Thomas was. And so our community ought to take as a model... Those two things. First, that people who are doubters ought to be included here. Because at heart, we all are doubters or have been at one time or another. And because if we have any hope of our doubting friends coming to believe in Jesus, we ought to think and act like them, their being with us is, is a good step on that road. There's a, uh, a really wonderful quote from Eugene Peterson that I've, I've read before. I don't know how recently I've shared this with you. Um, but Eugene Peterson, you may know as the translator of the message. He's, it's the, the uh, common everyday English translation of the Bible. And he also wrote some great books about what it, what it means to be a pastor. And so, so those of us who went to seminary uh, read, have read some of these books. And uh, one of the great things that he wrote uh, in one of the books is this. And he's talking about the nature of churches and and the people who gather in them. He says, The biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners. That's all of you. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. That's all of you. And then he goes on to say, I didn't put it on the screen because we, we don't need to put this kind of thing on the screen. In these communities of sinners... One of the sinners is called pastor. <laughs> and given a designated responsibility, the pastor's responsibility is to turn the attention of the people to God. And that's Eugene Peterson's picture of community, Christian community. And I think it fits actually quite well with uh, John's vision as well. <clears throat> but I wonder what you think God's reaction to a Thomas kind of faith is. Thomas was not timid about his unbelief, not in the least. He was pretty brash, actually, and said, unless I see those holes in his hand and put my hand in the, in the hole in his side, I will not believe. It's pretty straightforward. I don't think any of us, well, most of us probably have not been quite so bold in expressing our own doubts. And I wonder what What do you think God thinks about that kind of response to him? There's there's Jesus' immediate response when he does appear to Thomas. And he says, have you believed because you've seen? What does he say? Do you remember? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, he's not talking about the other guys in the room at that point because they have seen he's talking about the people who will receive this gospel by their work and that would include all of us presume who has seen Jesus and done the finger in the holes thing right so it's kind of interesting that there there apparently is a special blessing for those of us who uh, take this on faith without without some of the physical evidence So there's that Jesus' response that, you know, maybe your faith could have been a little better. Seems to be the implication there, right? And yet, he still is St. Thomas, right? They named an island after him. (laughs) So, I mean, it's a nice island, too. It's not like some crappy Greenland or something like that. That's not in my notes anywhere. That was just right off the top of my head uh, or somewhere else. Um, Thomas is a saint, you know, and, and so what do you think? I mean, talk back to me for a minute. What, what does God think about that kind of bold declaration of, of doubt? I am completely sure that I doubt You think he welcomes it? Why is that? Okay. Interesting. Brian said he thinks he welcomes that kind of doubt because it gives God a chance to prove that he's God. Okay. Anybody else feel like that? Like, this is, God probably welcomes that kind of honesty. Yeah? Comes to expect it? (laughs) Oh, you're doubting. Wow. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. (laughs) But what about what Jesus said? Doesn't that counteract a little bit, this idea? Yeah. Does anybody feel like maybe it's best not to be so brash about that kind of thing? You can... Maybe doubt is fine, but let's be a little bit more timid about it. <laughs> now, I don't know what the, the best answer is, but I do know that it's, it's good to, to share that doubt in community. Let me share another story with you here from the, one of the other Gospels. This is from uh, Mark chapter 9. And if you want to read along in your Bibles, this is on page 821, but it's also, this I think will be on the screen as well. Mark 9, 22. This is the story of uh, a man who brings his son to Jesus, and his son is, he he thinks, possessed by a a demon, and it throws him into the water and tries to drown him, and and he has these fits and um, actually seems very much like... Presents itself very much like epilepsy, but I'm not sure exactly what this is. But um, that's not quite the point of why I want to share the story with you. He brings the boy to Jesus, and this is what he says to Jesus If you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, If you are able. All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) Oh, man. This is is my life verse. (laughs) Some people's life verse is like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or for God so loved the world. My life verse is, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love how it says that immediately the man cried out I believe whoa oh help my unbelief cuz I'm not actually as sure as I seemed like I was 2 seconds ago And Jesus says well when you figure it out why don't you bring the boy back to me and we'll see what I can do Right No Jesus cast out the demon And the boy is like, he's still. So still that they think he's dead. Which is actually a good thing because he's been so... You know, stillness has not been anything possible for him. And the boy is healed. So apparently, even this stuttering half-belief that rushes in and then says, Oh, shoot, I'm not so sure. Apparently that... Level of faith is enough for Jesus. And that's good news, isn't it? I read to you one of my favorite authors a minute ago, um, Eugene Peterson. I want to read another of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. I've also put this on the screen. Now, he's very British, and and so he's using uh, uh, warship analogies here. So this is not necessarily uh, the kind of thing that's very common for us to think about right now. But this is what he says. It's a poor thing to strike our colors to God when the ship is going down under us. A poor thing to come to him as a last resort to offer up our own When it is no longer worth keeping. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He would have us, even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. And come to him because there is nothing better now to be had. Lewis's eloquent way of saying, I believe, help my unbelief, or of saying, the only way I'm going to get to believe is if I actually get to put my fingers in those holes too. We titled this message today, Open Wounds, and we've been talking about the open wounds on the body of Jesus Christ. But I wonder if, for some of us, we have our own open wounds. They're not physical wounds, but areas of deep pain and hurt that actually keep us from coming to faith. Because we are all wounded people. And if there's anything that makes our doubt grow... It's our own woundedness. What wounds keep you from faith in Jesus? Maybe you had a horrible experience with church as a child, or a terrifying experience with a pastor or youth leader. Maybe you have an across-the-board difficulty in trusting anybody, let alone a God you can't see. Maybe you've never been able to accept love as unconditional because you feel you're not good enough. Whatever your wound may be, I want to tell you that Jesus was wounded for those wounds. He is the, the wounded healer. I have one more passage of scripture to read to you. It's from Isaiah 53. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words that I believe were about Jesus. It's beautiful, beautiful language here. And the uh, the gist of the passage is that God has laid on Jesus our woundedness, our broken spirits, those things that prevent us from coming to Him. And Jesus has borne those on the cross. And so while I read this, I want you to meditate on your own woundedness. Maybe when I was asking you what wounds keep you from faith, you, something immediately jumped to mind. Maybe as I was going through some options that, that came to, to my mind, something came up for you as well. But put that right at the front of your mind. And as I'm reading this passage, I want you to visualize just taking that woundedness and laying it on Jesus. This is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed, For our iniquities. Upon him. Was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. And maybe we ought to be willing To do the same. One more uh, observation from this passage that um, I think is really, really interesting and very important to how we understand Christ Jesus was crucified and died and was buried and raised from the dead. And yet, though the, the overall effect of the crucifixion had been counteracted, had been reversed, had been miraculously wiped away, his body still bore the marks of that death. And this is the consequence of Jesus being a real, live, flesh and blood person. Jason used the, uh, the quotation from St. Irenaeus last week and applied it to us, but I think it applies it just as well to Jesus. The glory of God is a human being fully alive, a human being fully alive. Jesus is not some mystical ghost savior. <laughs> Flesh and blood that his disciples could literally put their hands on and touch. Because the, the world is not divided into physical and spiritual. That's a, that's a heresy that's as old as the hills. It's Gnosticism. We, we live in a physical world. That, that old, I'm not even going to quote that old police song like anybody here is young enough to know it. or old enough to know what I mean but it's wrong if you know the police song that I'm talking about it's it's not true (laughs) the police were a band in the (laughs) (laughs) never mind the world is not going to end with us being removed from this awful physical place and taken to some spiritual realm much as Tim LaHaye might have you believe When God brings about the end of all things, it's going to be the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth brought to us, just as Jesus himself was brought to us, and it's physical. And we are real life people, flesh and blood, and so we have marks of our own. They, again, may not be physical marks, but those marks are not going to go away When you come to new life in Jesus. And if you already have come to new life in Jesus and you're wondering why the marks have not gone away, it's because they're not going to go away. We strive for perfection, but we are not going to get there just yet. The Christian life is one of constant moving forward toward God and toward holiness, and it requires constant maintenance. And constant grace. And it's because I believe that that, I, in part, that I that I really love that we take communion every week together. Because I believe this sacrament is a means of God's grace. And even if you don't want to get quite so spiritual with it, if you're strictly a memorialist—in other words, you just believe this is a way that we remember Jesus's sacrifice—well, that's good. <laughs> It's good to remember that every single week too because we still bear those marks and we still need his grace and we still need to remember the risen Christ with the holes in his hands. And so I'm going to pray for us and then this table is open for us to celebrate communion together. Uh, And if you are following Jesus here in this place, even if you are a little bit of a doubter, Um, This table is open to you. Just tear that bread off and dip it in the cup. uh, And take it and receive it as spiritual nourishment, as a reminder, as a means of grace. And as something physical and tangible that you can grab onto the body and blood of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful story. of an all-time great doubter. It's encouraging to us because we so often find ourselves stuttering into a half-faith that says, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's our prayer, God, that uh, as we come to this table to remember and reenact the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, our Lord, that... uh, In partaking of his body and blood, we would be helped in our unbelief. And we pray for your continued grace and help in our lives as we deal with the marks that are left on our bodies and souls when we die to our old selves and are raised to new life in Jesus. We beg you for your continued grace and guidance and love in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.